Hi, I'm Antti Pitkänen, co-founder and insights and strategy director of Agile Work. Today at the Global Perspectives on the Future of Workplaces podcast, we have a pleasure to look into the future with Anthony Slumbers. Anthony has over 25 years of experience as a software and technology strategist and commercial real estate expert, and is a real expert in prop tech and space as a service. Welcome, Anthony. Great to have you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. I've been very much looking forward forward to this talk. Last time we talked was maybe two years ago, and I still remember that discussion and the presentation you gave here in Finland. Tell us where you where you're calling from at the moment. I'm I'm in I'm in a little town, well, not so so little town called Guildford, which is about thirty thirty miles south of fifty kilometers south of London. And I'm in my office at the end of the garden, where primarily I've worked for the last 10 years. <laughs> yes, I remember you told that you've been working remotely for years now. So you've been very, very well practiced for, for what's been happening for the last eight months or so. Yes, no, very much so. Very much so. But you have a, um, a significant experience in, in the sector. And could you tell us a little bit of what you've been doing for the 25 years and and the big changes that you've seen in, in commercial real estate over that three decades of, of working in the sector. Yes, it does sound rather rather long time when you say, when you say it like that. For 20-odd years, I ran a whole series of different um, uh, software companies. I've always run um, di- different software companies, but always related in one way or other with the commercial commercial real estate side of things. So for, for many for many years, my daily routine was to get up, code, code like a lunatic all day, and then uh, go to bed and get up and code like a lunatic all day. So I've done a lot of the sort of te- technical side. But as I say, I've always worked with um, com- in commercial real estate. So I've actually, one of those l- lucky people who's actually had the opportunity to to learn quite a lot about tech, but also quite a lot about real estate, which gives me a sort of a nice cross crossover. And to, to cut a long story story short, over the last few years, I've been um, disinvesting myself for various companies. I have five five different companies over the last twenty years, and eventually, eventually got got to the point of um, I'd had enough of that, and I wanted to um, just con- concentrate on what I wanted to con- concentrate on. Um, so a few years ago, well, actually quite a few years ago now, I, I started writing a blog, um, and then I started writing more, more and more, and then I started speaking quite, quite a bit, and then I started speaking more, more and more. And if you take the last, if you discount this year, but the last two years before that, I spent most, most probably half my time um, having a rather wonderful time going around the world talking, talking at conference, conferences. That, of course, has all, all come come to an end, an end now. But apart from the, the 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 writing and the talking, I do quite a lot of work with different companies, which range all the way from startups through to big institutions, looking at what is the impact of technology in the broadest sense on on real real estate. So, with a lot of the the prop tech startups. I try and help them understand what their value proposition is and that sort of thing. And then with the institu- with the institutions, I try and help them understand what they should be investing in, what they should be um, what they should be di- disposing of, what sort of technologies they should be using, how technologies are going to change the nature of demand demand for for their for their products. So I've actually a really nice range of uh, range of things I get involved with. And then, as it happened towards the end of last year, um, my friend Draw Poleg and I, Draw lives in um, New York. We started thinking that we ought to ought to develop um, an online an online um, course uh, addressing the um, addressing teaching real estate people about technology and technology people about real estate. So we actually had been working on that before all the pandemic started and it just happened that we were actually ready to go on that um, the first day of lockdown in in the UK which made it look incredibly um, smart of us to think of doing an online launching an online course just as we get locked down but we had actually been working on it for for many months before um, so primarily this primarily this year 
I've been working with Withdraw in developing the content um, and the audience and the marketing and the proposition for this course behind, which is the, the Real Innovation Academy.com. And um, that's, been going, that's been going incredibly well. We're just about to, we've got two more weeks of our fifth cohort. And this, mm. is a, this is actually a private cohort for a large global property services company um, based in Asia. Um, and then we finish, finish for the year and then we start again in, in, in January. And I saw that there's still some places left for, for the next cohort starting in Q1 2021. Yes. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're building up. It starts January, January the 18th. And as is the way with these things, it seems that half the people book in the last week. <laughs> mm. um, but, but yes, well, I mean, we can have uh, the, last, the last US EU one we did. We had seven, 75, pe- 75 people on it. And it uh, it worked worked fan, fan, fantastically well. It's incredibly exciting um, talking to so many different people at different stages in their career and different seniorities and different areas of the industry, and um, helping helping people un- understand the changing nature of demand and therefore what's going to be the changing nature of supply. You know, because it's there's, there's so much going on at the moment. Um, much of which is all a bit scary and worrying because of the the situation. But in in reality, this is probably the most interesting time to be in real estate of my whole career, in the sense of what is going to happen over the next um, the next few years is is going to be extraordinary. I think. I must agree on that. It's an exciting time, even though all the hurdles and the and the difficulties that companies are facing. But how would you how would you uh, you quite often write about innovation and the um, need for true innovation within real estate and and uh, particularly with the prop prop tech sector? Um, but how would you describe the last ten years running up to to the COVID and the pandemic uh, period? What has been happening, and what was what are the interesting innovations that that led up well, to this? To to be absolutely honest, the last te- the last ten years in terms of innovation have been not that exciting mm-hmm. um, because of the the interesting thing about the the, the the real estate sector is obviously it goes it goes through cycles, it goes through boom, booms and busts and. When the market is up, everyone thinks they're a genius, and when the market is down, everyone's an idiot. Um, but the last ten years really has has been pretty much a boom in in real estate. So when 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 times are good, managements obviously optimize their business for the market they're 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 in at that at that time. So there's been very much an optimization for the world as it was during a boom time. And in those sort of circumstances, there hasn't been a, a great need for innovation. You know, it's been relatively easy. You build a building, you let a building. It's not hasn't been that hard. You want to sell a building? Oh, look, you can sell it for more than you paid for it. It's not not that hard. It hasn't been that hard to to be in real estate the last the last ten years or so. That said, it has been fundamentally changing from the bottom, bub- bubbling up in the sense of. Over time, there's been this developing situation where the market is moving from being an industry that sells a product to one that delivers a service. This is the whole thing about space as a service, which is something I've been talking about since, I think, 2013 or something ages and ages ago about that. But but it's the idea of what do we actually need our space for? What what does it do? What service does it provide us? And what services does it need to have? What form factors does space need to have to to enable us to be as productive and happy, healthy, and productive as as we can possibly be? And that has been brewing up for some years anyway. I mean, if you look at uh, if, you, if you look at the WeWork situation, a lot of people are very scornful about WeWork and said, oh, it's this ridiculous, ridiculous company and it did this and it did that. But actually, regardless of, regardless of where WeWork ended, ended up, 
WeWork fundamentally changed the the way people think about about real real estate. And if you look at the demand pattern for WeWork and other flex operators, it's clear that for a huge section of the, the market, the product that they were selling was a product that the, that the market wanted. And, mm-hmm. they, and they wanted it much more than they wanted what the, the, the previous, the incumbent industry um, had, had, to, had, to su- had to supply. So there, so there was a lot of this, there was a lot of this movement towards different form factors, different conceptions of what the workplace is for and why do I have an office and how do I procure an office and what do I need? That was changing any, anyway, but as I say, relatively slowly because the market was too, market was too good to make anything really happen. But of course, what, what's, ha- what's happened now is I think there are two fundamental changes, zeitgeist changes, that are hit- hitting the industry. The, 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 first, the first, of course, is around environmental conditions and the fact that being inside a building can actually harm us. We, we realize that buildings can... can um, can can hurt you as an individual. The environmental conditions in a building can 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 harm you. That's something we've known about for decades. Frankly, the importance of air, environmental conditions has been known for decades, but we haven't really paid it much, that much attention. But now we really have to pay it attention. And then, of course, the second thing that's ha- that's happened is that there has been this global experiment in remote working, working not in the office. Mm-hmm. And rather remarkably, it turns out that with caveats, working, working from home works. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think this is more important than people are giving it credit for, actually. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, the, all that's happening now is we're accelerating what was going to happen anyway. But I think it's actually more, more profound than that because it was clear that there was a, a movement towards more out-of-office work, working. But it was, frankly, it was very low. You know, in the, in the, in the US, it was only about 5% of people uh, worked remotely. I think the highest percentage company is actually the Netherlands, where about 14% of people uh, regularly worked out of, out of the office. But this was growing really slow. And to get to... to, get to 20, 30, 40%, frankly, would have taken a whole decade. We'd be at 2030 before 20, 30, 40% of the market, of the industry, was commonly working at home. And what has actually happened is because of the, because of the situation, we went from 95% of knowledge workers working in an office one day to pretty well the next day, 95% of knowledge workers working at home. And it's been done at scale. Everyone's done it at the same, the same time. And I think our attitudes towards distributed working, I call it distributed working, it's not remote working. Remote suggests that you're not where you should be, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's distributed working. It's work, mm-hmm. from, work from anywhere. I think, I think that the change that has been given a forcing function by the pandemic around remote working is much more profound than, than people think and is not just an, exce- an acceleration of what was happening. It's a, it's a complete reimagining of the way, we, the way we think about work and the workplace and what, what we should do and, and shouldn't, shouldn't do. And I think if you combine those two combine those two aspects over the next few years. So the fundamental point that as a landlord, you are not going to get people back into your offices unless you can prove to them that they are safe and healthy places to be. Mm. And that is going to necessitate in, in investment in, in new materials, new technologies, new hardware, new software, new, new lots of things in order to be able to prove that your building is, is safe and healthy. Otherwise, people are not going to come back. Um, so you combine that 
with the realization that a large percentage of the knowledge workers have realized that they do not need to be in an office to do this type of work. And what we've learned, I think, is we have learned very much what does work out of the office, but we've also, I think, learned what we miss from an office. And I think there's going to be much more of a concentration on, well, let's just think about the office in terms of the things you can do better in the office than you can do elsewhere. Whereas previously, there was still the thing of, well, we'll still do the things that maybe we could do better elsewhere, but we'll do those in the office anyway. Well, why? You know, there's, there's absolutely no point me moving from here to get on a train to take an hour and a half to go up to London to sit in front of a computer and sit on my key- keyboard all day. It's completely pointless. And so why would I do it? It'd be madness, madness mm-hmm. to do it. But we have a much more profound, I think, understanding of what we do miss from an office and what an office is for and where an office can add things that we can't, that we can't get elsewhere. And I think we as an industry, need to concentrate much more on really getting to grips with our, what it is our customers get real value out of in, a, in an office and give them that and spend less time thinking about giving them what we used to give them, but really laser focus on we're going to configure, we're going to provide this hardware, this software, this these services in our our spaces that are going to enable you to be happy, healthy, and productive at what you are best doing in a, an office. And I think that's a completely different, a completely different framework that we're um, that we're going to be addressing. And it's a it's a it's not a it's not a minor change. This is this this is a big, a really big change there's 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 a there's a theory in evolutionary biology called punctuated equilibrium and the theory of punctuated equilibrium is that instead of evolution happening over time and one species slowly evolves in into another in the punctuated equilibrium theory you get these moments in time where boom everything changes and species split into di- into different different types so you go everything a bit like um you know the joke about the the turkey in christmas for 350 days the turkey's life is getting better each day and then suddenly it go, goes off the cliff mm. and i think i i genuinely think we are in that situation within the real estate industry that we're not looking at just a, just an iteration on what was i think we we got to think of Think of the the office work and the workplace as as something as something entirely new, and start framing all our conversations around the new world rather than let's just keep going with what was before. I think you touch on so many so many interesting points there that I w- wanted to raise a couple of things that that um, that you brought up uh, both the. Um, well, first of all, this space as a service. And I think one of the recent news, and you mentioned WeWork as well, and obviously everybody has been on the, you know, the field has been following what's happening in WeWork and the direction they're taking. But they recently launched the WeWork on demand service. So you don't need to be necessarily a, a, a member to be able to enjoy their premises. And I think this was quite interesting. But also, um, uh, what... Uh, two years ago, when you when we actually met for the first time here in, in in Finland, I think you said something that actually changed my way of of thinking about uh, co- both commercial and and uh, corporate real estate. And you and you said something that uh, goes: the future of real estate will be owned by those who own the experience of the users. And I think this uh, user centered or user experience uh, focused uh, approach into real estate was something that was really interesting for us at the time but do you think this is still true uh now going moving two 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 years forward and and looking at the situation where we are in at the moment 
I, I, I think it's more more true than ever. Um, and absolutely more more true more true than than ever ever. And the 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 line I use nowadays is that within 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 the industry we tend to misunderstand what it is that we're selling because we're because we're in the office market we think we're selling offices and we think that our customers want to buy offices but there's no company on earth that wants an office as an office they don't want an office what they want is a productive workforce the key point is how do i create a productive workforce that may or may not involve involve an, an office so when you start if you think of this as, a, as a, from the, the the company's point of view they need to create create a, a a productive workforce now there's areas that people in real estate cannot cannot Im- impact you know the, the, you you if you put a bad company in a good workplace that doesn't make them a good company a bad company is a bad company mm-hmm. and there's only a degree to which real estate can make any difference there but real estate can make a good company better because what we need need to be thinking of is what what do people need out out of their office in order to be happy healthy and and productive well we they need the right type of spaces in the right type of conditions to do whatever the job to be done is that they have at a particular time. So if you if you break down everybody's job into component component parts, the tasks that people do, what do they do at different 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 times a day and what type of spaces do they need in order to do that to the to the maximum impact. And we 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 all know that there are spaces that we we we, we go to that are absolutely perfect for a for a particular situation, you know, a meeting a meeting room that's particularly nice and conducive to to create creative thinking. Spaces that are good for quiet quiet work. Spaces that are good for concentrated concentrated work. Spaces that are good for getting together for so socialising and and all these all these sort, sorts of things. And we know with we have a pretty clear idea of what type of space is best for a certain certain type of activity and our job within real estate as i see it in terms of the user experience is how to understand what it is that this company needs at an individual level and to what extent can we can we provide that for for them so so the the, the user experience becomes ever ever more ever more important and what i think is going to happen uh, going forward over the next few years it's very it's it's clear to me that people are not going to go back to the office five five days a week in fact largely they weren't going five days a week anyway certainly in the uk and in london people were going probably four four days a week but i think i think people will go to the office two two or three, two or three three day, days a week but they will go to the office to do very specific specific things and the operators that are going to win are going to be those that understand what it is they are trying to do what it is they are coming into into say london to do and putting them in exactly the right environment with the right environmental conditions and i think people will pay a, a large premium for space that absolutely provides them with the services they need. So the space is a service. So that's the whole idea. Space that provides them the services, the services they need. And I think you're going to find there's going to be the, the importance of the operator of space is going to get higher and higher. So you're going to have two buildings exactly the same. One is going to be operated intensively with a real interests and laser focus on understanding the wants needs and desires of the people who are using that space and the other is going to be a traditional traditional just well managed well managed but not a lot of interaction building this building is going to generate a lot more money than than that building so 
the, the, the potential for a building to generate more income to going forward, I think is higher than ever. The question is, who's going to get that? Who's going to get that income? And this is where I think the industry is fundamentally changing. Previously, the most important person was the person who owned the building. The person who owned the building actually reaped most of the rewards, and they didn't have to do very. They didn't have to do very, very much. So, sign a lease, high rent, long long terms. Do do nothing, just manage it. You get your money. That's not going to happen anymore. Someone is going to have to really actively work a space. So the question then is, how much will that cost to activate the space like that? And who's going to do it? And I think that's one of the most interesting things in the market at the moment. If you, if you buy into this idea that the operator of space is really important, and the operator has to, as I say, understand the wants, needs, and desires of, its, of the users and then provide the spaces and the services for them. Now, the question is, who does that? And that, at the moment, I think is an, is an unknown because a landlord could do that. A, com- a corporate could do it themselves. A workplace company could do that. An FM company could do that. Or a third-party operator, flex operator could do that. And that's where I think it's really, really interesting at the moment that I've always thought of the, the real estate industry as, as moving from, and I think this might have been even been in my talk a couple of years ago, I say the real estate industry is no longer about real estate. And what I mean by that is, of course, it's about real estate. It's always going to be about, re- you've still got to know everything you need to know about real estate to be in the real estate industry. But you're also going to need to, to understand um, networks. Internet of Things networks. You're going to need to understand data. You're going to need to understand analytics. You're going to need to understand HR. You're going to need to understand workplace. And you're going to need to understand hospitality. Now, in my mind, to create a great workplace at the moment requires all six of those skills to really create a great a great workplace. You know, data, HR, workplace, IT, all of these. But at the moment, they're like six different industries. And they, you know, they don't, they famously don't talk to each other very much. I mean, you always talk to a, my workplace friends and they always complain that HR never talks to workplace. Workplace doesn't talk to HR. So you've got these six industries at the moment all involved with creating a great user experience for a company. But I think the real estate company of the future is going to merge all of those. It's going to be a company where all of those skills are either within the remit of one particular company or are going to be formed by a company having a network of partners that they work very closely with, that they collaboratively curate create and curate this experience. But as I say, at, at the moment, it's, it's hard to know who is going to benefit most from that. So as an example, to my landlord clients, my big landlord clients, I tell them they should be doing this. They, they should be owning the relationship with their customers. But I have property management clients as well. And I say to them, you should be doing this. You should be providing all these services. And then I have tech company, tech company flex operator clients. And I say to them, you should be doing, doing it. It's unknown, unknown at the moment. But the, 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 cent, the central point is that the way I see it, people, companies will take less space but they will take much they will want much better space with more and more services and someone has to provide provide that for them and to maximize the income out of a building one way or another you need to be able to deliver all of these what were six different industries uh, as one so yes the 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 operator the operator, the creator, and the curator of the user experience 
actually goes to the top of the pile. As I say, it used to be the investor, the investor, the landlord was at the top of the top top of the pile. Actually, who who creates that user experience actually becomes the most important entity within real estate. But we we discussed about workplace strategies, and 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 you mentioned before, and I, I wanted to return a little bit on this topic. Um, you, you, you said that you were speaking with real estate owners, you were speaking with real estate operators and, and, and consulting them. But what, what are the, um, they obviously, I think, or it seems at least from the, uh, from the Finnish point of view, companies are moving to the next phase. They're already starting to a little bit think further ahead and they're starting to start, okay, we need to make some strategic decisions not now, but maybe very soon about the direction that we're taking it. But what are the different strategies that these different players are actually evaluating at the moment? Can you can you explain a little bit about the work that you're doing with these very different types of customers? Yeah, I think it's a case of they've they've got to decide what role they what role they want want to play, and it and that that goes from being only a real only dealing with the real estate to being a full operator and provider of of fle- flexible flexible services and it doesn't really matter which which end you decide to go that's right and and that's right but the important point is companies have to understand what they are and what they and what they want to be and there are certainly real estate companies that all their skill sets are in real estate that's what they're good at they're good at finding real estate they're good at finding sites they're good at designing new buildings they're good at getting planning permission they're good at building buildings and that's it and in many cases they should stick just just to that there's other companies at the other end who might be who are probably the larger owners who have a lot of space and i think with them there's a very good argument why they should try and do it themselves they should try and provide their own brand their own service and to create to create their own new brand because i i i talk to people and say if you think about it in terms of um a premium premium luxury cars You know, you could buy a Mercedes, an Audi, a BMW. And the point is, for each of those companies, the most important customer they have is the person buying their first luxury car because you're buying into a brand. So, like, my father had Mercedes for 40 years. I've had Audis for 25 years, and my brother has BMWs. And they're just three different types, and I will only buy an Audi every time. I always buy the same thing because it 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 fits the brand. And what I say to larger companies, if they understand their customers enough and the type of customer they want to attract, they can create brands specifically for that type of customer and develop services that suit the the requirements of that particular customer. So it's it's very it's very analogous to hotels here. So you can have like Premier in on one end and they're very good at what they do and they're inexpensive and you can have Four Seasons on the other end and they're very good at what they do and they're very expensive. They just have different customers and different brands and different value propositions. Mm-hmm. And I think the larger operators have the scale to create their 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 own brands and they should have enough understanding of their customers to be to be able to do so but and it is a big but to be a if you like a full service real estate company of the future you are you you are then a service company you're not a product company So uh, the traditional real estate company is a product company. They build something, that's it. What we're talking about here is delivering a service. And the, the type of company that is all about delivering a service is different. You are much more like um, much more like a Marriott, much more like a, a hotel brand. And you will need to 
you will need to change the types of people you employ. You will need to change, in many ways, the ethos of the, of the company. Now, that's a big thing. But if you can do that, it's a bit like, I always say it's a bit like the iPhone. The reason the iPhone makes so much money is because they control the hardware, the software, and the services, and they have complete control over the user experience of this thing. Therefore, this user experience is the best. So a, a real estate company could do, could do that. If they could do that, they are in the very best position because they then have complete connection with their customers. The other end of the scale, the, the pure real estate company, they could never do that because they have no connection with their customers. Their customer might be the person that, sign, that signs a lease. It's the individual, um, or they're just selling, selling on, the, on the building. So they have no relationship with the customer. Then you have this midway situation where, and this is probably what most real estate companies should do, is they should work with one or more operator, but very closely, and they should try and create. They should try and jointly create their own brands, but working with a but working in partnership with another company. Because leave that uh, leave the operator to build a service based company, and you can remain pretty much as a real estate company, but working very closely with with your with your operator and depending what type of assets you have you could work with different types of operator because there's going to be lots of different brands within within flex operators aimed at different types of types of market and that's probably what most real estate owners should should do but but they need to be careful in how they do it because if if you do it as a partnership, then you you retain you retain control over the brand, the experience, the 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 value proposition you're offering. You also retain control over the data about your customers and how your building is being used. The 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 situation that has been the case the last few years has typically been that a landlord would lease to one of these operators. So they'd lease it to WeWork. But by doing that, they lose all connection with their customer because that customer is WeWork's customer. Mm. WeWork understand how the building's being used, how what the wants, needs, and desires of the customer are. The landlord knows nothing. So the landlord actually just becomes a dumb a provider of a dumb box, which can be fine if if that's your if that's the business you want to be in, which is the pure real estate thing. Fine, you don't need to know about the customer. Mm. But going going forward, I I think every landlord needs to understand its customer and how its buildings are being being used. So the best the best situation for most landlords i think is to, is to work very closely long term with one or more fle flexible operator but very much as a partnership this is not a then this is not an outsourcing this is not sign the contract go you know you do that and i'm going away you have to you have to work closely together because this 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 idea around the brand, and I have this phrase that says, um, user, user, UX, user experience equals brand, and brand equals value. And I believe that's going to become very true. Buildings are going to start becoming known for providing a certain sort of user experience. Mm -hmm. And this building has all these services, and it has this type of services. This building, if you like, is a, is a Mercedes building. That building's a BMW building. That building's an Audi building. That building's a Skoda building. That building's a, a Volvo building. They each have their different char char characteristic. And the, the winners, the winners, of course, are going to be those that understand, understand their, their, their customer 
and and, man, and manage to attract manage to attract the best the the best customers and retain the best customers because I think this I think there's an important point to understand about security and and risk historically because lots of landlords leased to flex operators they were signing 10 year leases 15 year leases we work signed hundreds of 10 and 15 year leases and none of them are worth anything because they've they've all in separate companies and they just they've just been torn up so you're not you're not lessening the risk by sign, by signing a, a lease you're lessening the risk by giving your customers exactly what they exactly what they want because they're not going to go somewhere else if i if i if i'm running a building and i can really understand how the building's being used what people are using it for what people want in that building i'm in a position to optimize my building for those people now for them to leave they would go to a new building and they sort of have to start again because that building would have to learn learn about them. So it's a bit like it's a bit like um, the lock in you get with with so, with software because you use it a lot, it gets better. And the more you use it, the more it understands you, and the better the service it can provide you. And I and I think build, buildings are going to be like that. That I'm going to stay in that building because that building is perfect for me. And is it expensive? Yes, it is expensive, but for most companies, I think they will still be saving money overall because they will be taking less space. So ideally, you want, you want a building full of people taking not much space for not much time, but paying a lot, a lot for it. And if you, if, you can, if you can get it busy enough that you can keep your building busy with people who are taking a small amount of space pretty much on demand, but paying a lot for it, but they are still saving money compared to what they would have paid for a, a much more space long, long term, then that, that's, the way to, that's the way to go. But it's just, just talking about this, you can, you can see how this is, a, this is a much more complicated game than what real estate used, used, to, be, used to be about. And I think there the the interesting point that you brought up as a space as a service, but base, uh, space as a software or, or idea of the analogy into an operating system. I think you wrote in one of your articles about also spaces as, and workplaces as an operating system for companies. And I think this, this is very, very true in many ways. Yeah, very intriguing I use, idea. I think- I, I, I use the phrase of in, 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 in software, the first, thing, the first thing anyone learns when they start working in software is it's all about build, measure, learn. So you build something, you measure how it's, how it's been used, you learn from that, and you, and you build. You, so you go build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. You just keep, keep going. In real estate, we stop at build. So we build something. And very often it's perfect. On day one, it's beautiful. We create this great building or we, we create a great workplace. How many workplaces have been created that on day one are perfect and then no one does anything about it, nothing changes after that? And the company changes and a year later, the workplace is no longer right for that company because it hasn't changed. So I... Try and I like to think of it as what we need to get to is our buildings and our workplaces need to need to operate as if they're software. So we build something, we learn, build something, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. Every time a company changes its organization, the building needs to, the building needs to flex, flex with it. And, the, and the, the, the form factor needs to change. And the services we provide need need to change, and that's a constantly learning, learning work workplace. A lot of our listeners will be also from the corporate real estate side and decision makers there. Do you have any insights or thoughts or that would help them to maybe guide them a little bit through the next process and uh, steps of the process when they are starting to evaluate their strategies for the future? Yeah, I, 
I think what, what every company need, needs to do is, is, is gather a lot of data about it, their, their own people. The first, the first thing they need to, need to know is for everybody, so everybody in the company needs to answer this, what did you do before the pandemic? How many, how many days a week were you in the office? Which offices did you go to? And what did you do in the office during the day? So, oh, I mainly had meetings, or I mainly, I mainly worked, worked, worked on my own, or I, I did whatever. So you need to understand exactly what it is people were doing before the, the pandemic. Then you need to ask them about their experience during it, where they've probably mostly been at home. So what has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? What, what, what did you like? What did you not like? What did you need that you didn't have? Um, and what did you have that, that, that you didn't, didn't need? And then the third question is, in that case, what do you, what do you want afterwards? So how often do you want to be in the office? And what do you want to do in the office? Because each individual should have got to a position where they can say, this works for me, this doesn't work for me, this is what, what I need. And what I need might be, might be physical things, but also might be, might be di digital things. So do I have the right software? Do I have the right hardware? And the physical, do I have a right, the right desk? Do I have the right chair? Do I have the right lighting, et cetera, et cetera. So by, by collecting that information, so what were people doing before the pandemic? What were they doing during the pandemic? And what would they like to do afterwards? That should give you enough data to start to understand what real estate you, you need after that. And a lot of this is going to boil down to understanding how te teams operate. So, for instance, say, say we're working on a project together and you go into the office on Tuesdays and I go in on Wednesday. That's ridiculous. That's useless. Mm. We need to go in on the same. We need to go in the same day. Our team needs to go in on the same day. Now, a lot of this, I think, can be self self coordinated, and this is what you'll understand by really asking lots of questions about your employees. What what teams work together, and how often do they need to be together? So we might be working in a team where we're perfectly happy to do this most of the time. But we really need to be in a room together four hours, four hours a week. And actually, this is how I worked for, for many, for many, mm. many years. When I was, I, I had a joint venture with one of the big real estate companies in London. And I used to work from home. My developers were in India. My designers were about 50 miles away from me. And I did the coding at home. And a number of other people were, worked in London. So we were all over the place. But on Wednesdays, we would all come together and everyone had to come together on that day. No one was allowed to have meetings elsewhere on Wednesday mornings. And we would spend four hours a week together going through everything. And then people would go off and little groups would work with little groups. And then the next week, we all come together. And it, and it worked, it worked remar remarkably well. But... By by doing by doing that by getting the data together, you can start to evaluate what's going to work for people and what's not going to work for people. And then and then there's there's so many there's so many factors in, involved with this. So for instance, um, and this de completely depends upon your location. So in somewhere like London, the biggest problem in London is commuting. So it takes, I'm only 30 miles away, but it takes me an hour and a half to get to the city of London. So that's three hours a day. That's stupid, five, five days a week, but mm. lots of people do it. So there's a big incentive to not do commuting five days a week. But in other cities where, I can, where most people can walk to work in 30 minutes, that's different. So understanding the commuting patterns is, is really important. And then understanding the types of job people do. So, for instance, you might have, as an, as an extreme, um, a sales department, and you have lots of salespeople. 
they tend to like being together and they tend to like being in quite small spaces because that's a very type of collaborative, everyone pushing everyone else type of work. So they're most likely to need to be in the office. You might have other people whose main, main whose 60% of their work is, is um, individual focus work. There's no point them being in the office 60% of the time. So understanding exactly what it is pe- people do is important. Mm. And then also understanding the character of people is important. So certain people are extroverts. Well, what do they say? Half, 50% of people are extroverts. 50% of people are introverts. Extroverts like me, offices are made for people like me because we're noisy and we talk a lot and, and we're perfectly happy to sit in meetings and, and, and to talk away. For lots of introverts, that's not a nice environment to be in. So what percentage of your employees are introverts as opposed to extroverts? They're probably going to want to want different things. And then, of course, there's the, the um, ages. What ages are, are people? One of the things we do know about, um, I think we've, we've learned about offices, is one of the big problems with distributed working for, for offices will be new hires. New new people join joining the company. How do you how do you get get them involved and in understanding the corporate culture? Now, this a lot of all of these things are possible to be done remote remotely, and there's lots of really good um, documentation and reports available online by companies that are fully distributed that can bring on new people without them being in office. But for most but for most companies. I think new people want to come to the office and they want to be with the, the senior people and there's a degree of learning and, and men, mentoring. But, he, but again, unless you, unless you look at the demographics of your, of your workforce, it, it's, hard, it's hard, hard to, um, to say. So there's all these, all these variables that unless you understand them, you're not going to be able to work out what you really want, mm. but you need to do this at the individual level. And mm. I think that's, that's where the opportunity is because a lot of this is done historically at a group level, that department, all of those people are like that, that department, all of the people are like that, but if, but that's not the case. You need to know the individual, individual needs, um, so I would say I would say for all corporates, before they do anything, they they should get all that data together and then they should work out work out where to where to go from from there. Because almost definitely they will need different space to the space they have at the moment. That is sound sound advice. To I think there is, is it's a lot of the work that that we're currently carrying out also with the with the companies and, and I think that individual level and carrying out discussions and looking very much on the before during and 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 making some some estimates or at least trying to think what would be the preferable futures that the company should be looking in what do they want to be after all this has ended um I think um to end with I'd really want to if you could uh, just Briefly, tell us a little bit about the the real uh, innovation academy that you have with Drew Bollock and 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 the work that you're doing, and the topics that you're covering, and and why should people attend that course? Okay, the the the, the point the the initial the initial point of the Real Innovation Academy, and we call the course that the course that we do we call call the hashtag Future Proof Office course mm. is. The initial motivation was to help real estate people understand more about technology and for technology people, particularly prop tech people, to understand more, more about real estate. So what we actually, actually put, to, put together is a course that covers a lot of real, at a basic level, we, we cover a lot of real, real estate terms so, and the structure of the real estate industry, so people within technology understand how the industry works, what are the incentives, what are the motivations, 
what are the structural impediments to to innovation to um, working with technology technology companies and then we have a big section to do with we do a lot of stuff about data about artificial intelligence and about technology technology terms so a real estate person who does the course will have a basic grounding in what they need to know about about technology they will they will know more about data they will understand what artificial intelligence can do what it can't do and they will understand the terminology of the technology industry which will help them in their interactions with te- technology so suppliers so we, we 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 do all that that sort of stuff and then we do a lot to do with in- innovation innovation in the workplace so we have a big section all about how will how will the workplace evolve what will the office of the future look like what will the kpis of the future office look like and then we have a big section about innovation in terms of understanding why innovation is important how to spot new opportunities how to build value propositions how to how to um how to think about business models and and all that sort of thing so uh, one of the people on our first cohort said said to us this is actually a really strange course he said it's a it's like a third of it is a real estate course a third of it is a technology course and a third of it is like a baby mba and that <laughs> and that's and that's really what it is but but what's interesting about it and what we found is the the best part of it is that all of the material is on is online so everything is on, online so there's lots of there's lots of reading there's lots of videos there's lots of podcast type type con- content but then once once a week we come together for an hour an hour and a half to 2 hours and each week a, a subgroup of the cohort has has to has to present so we have two or three presentations each week so we split the cohort up into groups and then we give them topics and the topics tend to be actually quite hard and quite wide wide ranging these be things like um your 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 you're raising a you're raising a, a a fund to invent invest in offices um what type of offices would you invest in and where would you invest in them and how would you finance them and what we what we're finding is that the groups are working really well together putting these presentations together and so e- each week we have like an open session then we have two or th- two or three presentations and then we have breakout breakout sessions where we put people into little rooms and give them a- another question so we're really trying to build um a collaborative network of of people and we have separately we have a, a our own slack group and everyone who does each of the courses can join the join the slack group and that's building into a really solid um network networking platform and every presentation that everyone in each cohort does gets put into the um put into the slack group so i think we're on about 30 different presentations um in there in there at the moment so it's a it's a it's a course for anyone involved in any area of the office market who's curious innovative and particularly interested in where the, where the industry is going and how they can develop their own value propositions because in the la- in the last week we concentrate a lot on trying to uh, help people put put into practice what what they've been been learning so we 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 the the aim of the course is that by the time you finished it you have you have things that you can implement implement straight straight away so the 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 whole the whole content is on you go to real real innovation uh, realinnovationacademy.com you can find the whole um, curriculum on on there it's a now it's a six six week course now next one starts january the 18th and um if if you're curious and innovative and interesting you'll love it <laughs> please do check it and we'll be we'll be sharing the links to both the realinnovationacademy.com as well as the different 
great blog post that you've been sharing recently on the topics. Thank you, Anthony, so much for joining us on the on this episode of Global Perspectives on the Future of Workplace. And I, it, I, it has been a real pleasure and really insightful discussions uh, today. Um, and I think as a, as a summary, I think we, we very much uh, focused, uh, we looked on the past 20 to 10 years of development within the real estate uh, property technology sector and, and, and some of the issues that have been uh, Arising or or the new and new innovations that have have risen over the over the last ten years or or that haven't uh, as you well pointed out that the innovations haven't been really that exciting. We also discussed a little bit about the hurdles and challenges that the pandemic is is creating, but also some of the opportunities that this is creating for the real estate sector and in in redefining a little bit how we understand the workplaces and and the real estate. And I think the the last that we we've been really discussing on how to move forward, uh, how how both the real estate operators and and owners how the, what they should be focusing, but also I I very much appreciated the the feed uh, the insights that you shared on what companies should be looking at in understanding their use of workplaces and and and, and corporate real estate to better understand the before, during, and after. Again, once uh, uh, once again, thank you so much, Anthony. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to to having these discussions in the future as well. And and good luck with the future future proof uh, office um, training uh, training and academy work that you're doing. It sounds really exciting, and I hope to be actually able to participate myself as well. Uh, that's great. Thank thanks very much. It's been it's been very interesting. Thank you.